Welcome to the new episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies. Today we will be finishing our kind of look back, our our, our three part, our trilogy of sorts, I guess you could say, of going back thirty years, going back twenty years, and now going back ten years to look at the movies that came out in each of those uh, years. Just kind of. We just thought it'd be something to do <laughs> while there's nothing really happening in theaters, right, Dakota? <laughs> exactly. Apparently, we're all just waiting for Tenet to come out, <laughs> and maybe that will be the only movie. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yes, here we are. Then, until then, we just have Capone to tide us over. <laughs> oh, man, I hope that's... Uh, what was the last big movie that wasn't theaters like right now like bloodshot <laughs> oh yeah yeah what a way to what a way for the movies to go <laughs> uh, uh, so far i don't know we could i think we could all just confidently say sonic so far is still holding the title yeah that's the, <laughs> the safe one to say yeah uh and and we're all just e- we're all just waiting for Christopher Nolan to save us, which I'm sure uh, he really enjoys that, that he's being looked to as a savior. I'd imagine that that, you know, he doesn't ever come across as too egomaniacal, but you know he's got to love that a little bit, that he's the one everybody's looking to to save cinema because he's so, he always wants to come across as the classic Artur. <laughs> And so he already sees himself as a savior of cinema. So it's only fitting. <laughs> uh, I feel like you just opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting in his suit with a little sinister grin on his face. <laughs> oh man. It it is interesting though how they've stayed pretty they've stayed pretty tight that it's coming out in July. I, I'm guessing that's more Warner Brothers call than his call, right? Like yeah. they they're the money. <laughs> So. I think though at that point, um, just because everything's been pushed back so far, I think he, I think they're just confident that it's gonna, just gonna rake in, rake in the money. Yeah, as we all sit spaced out in the theaters or however it works, but, <laughs> but today we are talking about 2010, uh, which there is a Christopher Nolan movie that came out in this year actually, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna do kind of what we did the other time. We're just gonna kind of go through, and obviously we're not gonna hit every movie because. Thousands of movies come out uh, every year, um, and so we're just going to hit on the ones that kind of stick out, and maybe some of the ones we like that were you kind of maybe forgot about even. So let's just go ahead and let's let's start with the big one here. Let's start with Inception. That was the Christopher Nolan movie that came out in 2010. Dakota, were you looking forward to this? Not let not no. <laughs> you you can show your cards, I guess. But before you kind of totally show your cards on how you feel about the movie, were you looking forward to it? Uh, you know, I was. It just seemed like a really intriguing story. And, of course, he, you know, uh, the movie before the, his, uh, the two that he had done had just been fantastical. You know, uh, The Dark Knight and The Prestige. Yes, that was his know. Between Batman movie. Yeah. But uh, at this point, I think we had all just thought he was the next Stanley Kubrick. 
I except you know the modern basically Stanley Kubrick who just made these great ground bear, groundbreaking films. And yeah, there was a lot of hype from this movie from what I remember. Yeah, there was a ton of hype because uh, not only was he the guy breaking records with Dark Knight, he was also just, like you said, I mean, this was, I guess you could say, the height of his power. <laughs> and and maybe he's still, maybe he's still at that height, you know, because, I mean, like we were just talking about. But I think this is really when... I mean, people were looking forward to Dark Knight, but then it was really after Dark Knight came out that everybody was like, Christopher Nolan is the greatest director who's ever lived. And so I really feel like Inception was his, where he had to prove himself, you know, like, uh, uh, can he, you know, is he this guy that he's kind of maybe even presenting himself to be kind of this new Kubrick. And I feel like even the way this was made, you know, when you look at oh, I want the sets to be built, and he had all these crazy, like, twisty sets, and and uh, and then just the plot in general was just kind of crazy. You're like, oh my gosh, he is kind of like this new Kubrick, so to speak. And was this an original idea from him, correct? Like, he didn't... This wasn't, like, inspired by anything. Because, you know, like, The Prestige was from a book. Uh, I think this one was just from his mind, right? He just started yeah. looking into dreams. Yeah, well, most of his movies, uh, he does kind of, kind of claim he can claim like, oh, this was like an original idea. Um, was this the one where his brother wrote the script for though? Well, he he typically does work with his brother, because uh, I know on the Prestige they wrote that together. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one, I can't remember if it was this one in particular, but one movie kind of put his brother on the map, and he's been kind of riding, riding that wave. I would say it was probably this one, because yeah. this one was a hit. The Prestige was a hit, but Inception was like a home run. Uh, maybe even a Grand Slam, because I remember it making just quite a bit of money. <laughs> well, and the other thing, too, is it had a, it had a cast people were excited about. You know, you. I mean, you had Leo in the lead, which people love him, and uh, Ellen Page was riding the Juno wave, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was kind of the sweetheart of that time, and so just just those people in general, let alone just kind of the people they sprinkled in through the rest of it, like Killian Murphy and Tom Berenger, and you know, your uh, Michael Caine, of course, because it's his Nolan movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it was just kind of this, like, oh, the cast even got people excited, let alone anything else. Yeah. Little did we know the uh, the real trump card of the cast would end up be Tom Hardy. Yeah, he was really the ace up the sleeve. I mean, he came out of the movie just being like, oh, man, he was great. <laughs> he was. He just looked like he was just having the most fun. <laughs> yeah. One could actually almost dare say he upstaged kind of the more prominent actors that were in that movie he did and i think it was because just the role he got to play he got to there wasn't so much on his shoulders maybe so to speak because ellen page had to be like our point of view into the story and then leo had this whole other thing going on with his kind of 
issues. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think Hardy was the one who was just able to kind of be the relaxed character, you know, or the one you could just kind of like cuddle up to maybe a little bit. <laughs> so, and I thought Ken Watanabe was really good in this movie too. Um, yeah. You know, he always gets stuck in like these kind of samurai or samurai-ish type roles. And it was kind of fun just to see him be like a businessman <laughs> and still do great. So, um, but of course, the thing this movie is really most known for is that it's a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream <laughs> and kind of explaining itself out of, out of that kind of paradox. <laughs> But at the end of it all, Dakota, what did you think of this movie? Oh, that it was just great? I mean... <laughs> yeah, when was uh, the last time you watched it? Oh, it's been a few years, but... Uh, oh, man, I think... I had to have seen it over a dozen times at this point. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I mean... Uh, and no, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, every scene is just so brilliant. You know, it's just... Uh, you know, there's some flaws in the movie. It, you know, right. Kind of, the Matrix don't look too hard at it, or else things can. It's like, hey, I don't know. But you know, you, the cinematography was great. The acting was top notch. Yeah. And and that score was just absolutely phenomenal. Yes. This was the movie that gave us the boing <laughs> that we all kind of got tired of in trailers. But it's not this movie's fault. Everybody else just copied it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. Even though this movie maybe has, like, uh, your first time or two watching it, you know, you know, there's maybe a lot going on and things like this. In a weird way, it's one of his more watchable movies. Um, Just because it is interesting to watch. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of like you're just watching... MC Etcher or something, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of fun to look at, let alone going along on the, on the ride. Yeah. And the, uh, the interesting is, uh, people are still kind of talking about how amazing this movie is. Uh, Michael Caine though spilled the beans last year. I remember when he said, Oh, any scene where I'm in it, uh, it takes place in the real world. And that's what, that's what he was told by the director. Really? So, yeah. It, uh, it basically tells you that yeah he's he's out of he, he's in the real world in the very end which i mean i'd always that was kind of where i leaned but i guess that's probably just cuz i'm an idealist a little bit an optimist no. <laughs> you know i i was one of those guys who was like it doesn't matter cuz cuz either way he was happy i mean <laughs> yeah and i think that was the thing nolan was just willing to do is that that was kind of what almost what he was saying too. He's like, well, either way, he can be happy, so I'll just leave it for you to kind of to think on or whatever. So, but yeah. that's funny. I didn't realize Michael Caine had done that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think anyone cares because there's still people like, oh no, he's trapped. Yeah, like, well, he's trapped in a world of his own making, and it's kind of what he wants. If that's if that's how you want to go. Well, it's like but anything though. When when people, you know, they're just like. Until Christopher Nolan comes to my house, sits down in my living room, looks me straight in the eye, and tells me, you know, I'm never going to believe it. So, I mean, you're always going to have that a little bit, too. Yeah. But, but it just goes to show, like, uh, the more passionate people are about something, it just 
it, I think it's kind of uh, just goes to show how well how well made it was. Yeah, it was right. Yeah, well, let's let's go ahead and let's just go ahead and take a huge left turn, just a huge one, <laughs> uh, and go right into everyone's favorite, real favorite movie that came out this year, uh, The Last Airbender. Oh, good God! Now. Do you feel, Dakota, that this movie is as unwatchable as people make it out to be? You know, I wouldn't call it unwatchable. It's just I think I think the people that have deemed it that uh, were just huge fans of the anime. Correct. And you know, it's just it's kind of just a blah movie. It's like what what is even going on here? That's at the end. That's kind of what I was left with. Yes, and and that's. And that's the real thing is that it it, it is even that it's uh yeah it's just like it just kind of was a movie and that's probably the biggest atrocity of it because of the fact that it is based on one of the more celebrated animated series <laughs> yeah that it just kind of was like a here it is <laughs> yeah what cracks me up is some people are still claiming the reason. This movie sucks so much just because, you know, the cast wasn't completely Asian. And it was kind of, M. Night Shyamalan, of all people, was kind of uh, accused of being a racist. But it's like, you know, they've they've asked Asian people, like, oh, does does it bother you that these characters weren't Asian? And they were just like, no, I'm okay with it. Which is funny because he's Indian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess anybody no. can be a racist, huh? Yeah, there was no there was no uh, Shyamalan getting off the Mayflower people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when the when the Vikings and oh, I'm sorry, when the Danes invaded England, there was no there was no Shyamalan in the hustle, you know, trying to either take some land or defend his land, you know. So, right. And and I mean, anyone's capable of being a racist, but I think at the end of the day, it's just that Shyamalan just hired who he wanted to hire. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, what is uh, what the real problem of this is he didn't respect the source material. Sure. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like when you're basing something off something, it's okay to change things, but it's just like, what are you even doing here? You know, why, why did you even do this is really the question. Yeah. He seemed to act like he cared about it. But it was almost like uh, what some people's problem with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek is. It's like, you know, the the Trek the Trekkies are kind of like, why did they get a guy who doesn't even understand or love Star Trek to direct and do these movies? You know, and I don't know, say what you will about the Star Trek. That's a whole other can of worms. But, yeah, it's kind of weird because Shyamalan kind of claims that he likes and understands this because his kids liked it. And I've always been curious to be like, I'd like to pull his kids aside and just be like, did you like your dad's movie? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, there is kind of a side to that, though. It's like a parent's appreciation for something their kids love. They could have a completely different viewpoint of it than their children do. It's true. And, and his kids might have really bad taste because apparently Lady in the Water... <laughs> was based off of a story he told his kids <laughs> so who knows what's going on but let's move maybe, on oh sorry maybe, yeah <laughs> sorry just 
yeah. We're getting bogged down. We can't do that. Yeah, we'll just keep going here. Here's here's one that I think is just a great treat from this year. Uh red. Ah, uh, yes. Uh which is an acronym. It's not the color, even though they use that color scheme. Uh it stands for retired extremely dangerous. <laughs> and man, this movie's fun. This is probably the last time I really remember Bruce Willis really giving it, like really trying. Because I feel like even in Red 2, he's a little sleepier. But I feel like in this first Red, he's still nice and awake. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, this movie I haven't seen in a while, but this was a real... Um, I had like no expectations from this. Yeah, same. I didn't... And, and- I didn't even realize it was a graphic novel until after I saw it. You know, that's a hell of a thing for you to bring up because I had read the comic and I'm like, uh, the comic is nothing. You could read that, I think, in maybe a half hour. Oh, funny. Is it mostly pictures? <laughs> is that the deal? Or is it like a Frank Miller where it's a lot of pictures? Uh, well, it helps that one, there's no, there's no, it's not an ensemble story. It's just a story about this guy. Oh, okay. There's no big big reveal like why you know they want him dead they want him dead and from what i remember at the end of the comic um he kills the guy and then like this elevator doors open up and it, you're supposed to assume i think it's just guards or i haven't read it in oh my gosh 12 years maybe <laughs> but mm. but yeah that's how it ends and it's just it's like a nothing story you could turn that into uh, you know, like that little Punisher movie they made a few years ago called Dirty Laundry. Like, oh you, sure, you could make it shorter than that. Even <laughs> you'd still get the gist of what the comic was about. Sure. Now this movie, this is one that I feel like people could have missed or maybe forgot about. And I would say, especially if you love action, but if you like just like fun movies and don't mind that the fun movie you're watching has action, this movie is great. The cast is incredible, actually, considering it's a movie that I feel like wasn't being a tentpole movie, you know. But I guess when you think about it, no one in the cast was, like, probably super expensive at the time. I suppose Bruce Willis would have been the most expensive. Because then the rest, of the, ca- the rest of the cast is filled in with uh, Morgan Freeman, Carl Urban, but kind of early Carl Urban. Uh, John Malkovich. Um, oh, and what's that woman's name? Oh, the why one do from... I always forget her name? She's from yeah, Weeds. Because uh, she's great, too. I feel terrible I'm forgetting her name. It's weird because I feel like I can see it. It's like a three-part name, right? <laughs> oh, Mary Louise Parker. Thank you, Mary Louise Parker. She's great I... in this. She's just the right level of kooky. To where that you would believe that she would just end up going on the lamb with this ex-government black ops guy that she just met. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian Cox. He's great in this movie. So. <laughs> you know, it's the thing about this movie is it doesn't seem like anything got wasted. Like, no actor was kind of just like, oh, he's just in it, in it for a paycheck. It's like everyone... yeah. Kind of showed up and brought their A game. Yeah, and they. The action, the action scenes in this were pretty great. There's that scene where uh, 
Uh, Bruce Willis basically just pops out of a car and starts shooting at Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the fight between him and Carl Urban. Just, just using everything in an office in a government building to just try to keep each other from getting back up, and they're just beating each other <laughs> mercilessly. I, the one real disappointment in this movie is I felt like. Ernest Borgnine should have been given a gun and had something to do. I, yeah, I guess if you would want to argue the one ways, it's maybe maybe Ernest Borgnine. But at the same time, I just love that he's there. Yeah, and he's... Uh, it's just great. It's just great because I lo- and that's kind of the beauty of this movie is that that they even took time for that role, you know, to get a Borgnine in there, and uh, it just makes it fun. So and then of course Helen Mirren. As like a cold-blooded uh, sniper. <laughs> I think it's funny. Uh, she actually got in shape for this role. I heard that too, that she kind of... I think and, she wanted to make sure that she didn't come across as sluggish, you know, that, that, she, yeah. that she was spry. And apparently she went to the same gym a pregnant Jessica Alba was working at. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> Man, talk about uh, expectations, huh? Just like, oh, this pregnant lady over here is doing like 500 push-ups, I guess. Yeah. So get on the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah, because Alba does stay in pretty tip-top shape. Oh, man. But yeah, Red is definitely, that's a high recommend for me. I just rewatched it a few months ago. Still great. Still great. And actually, you know, I was kind of being a little hard on the sequel. Red 2 is actually fine. Uh, oh, didn't live up to the expectations. And... Yeah, it was just it was just tough because this one is just so lovable. <laughs> yeah, you, you would think that, you know, uh, anything Anthony Hopkins is because he's so choosy. He's not like, you know, late stage Marlon Brando where he's like, oh, there's money. You know, at the, at the same time, you always hear that about Hopkins, how choosy he is. But then you're like, why did he pick this? You know, like some of the <laughs> things he picks, <laughs> like this is what you were choosy over. Uh, that's why I love that Connery just gave up trying to understand things <laughs> and just decided he'd be an LXG. <laughs> I just love that. Oh, yeah. Now let's go to the... Let's stay in this category a little bit, but go to the disappointing action movie of this year, The A-Team. You know, when you say that, (laughs) so many movies spring to mind from this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's true. Let's let's footnote it with this. Disappointing because it had a lot of hype behind it. You know, and it's, it's... The funny thing is, Red isn't the only movie where it's like, oh, we're getting the crew back together to to go have a swashbuckling adventure. It's, yeah, swashbuckling. <laughs> it's not. There was a few others. Yeah, there were. Yep. Um, some that were supposed to start completely brand new franchises. Correct. And... Yeah, quite a few actually this year were supposed to be the franchise starters, including they... A-Team. Yeah, and they were so just lukewarm that... Nobody really cares. Or, or, or do there's a few Dakota that we'll get to that are basically DOA. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you can't even say they were like lackluster or, or just, I mean, it was like, they were just dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, we'll just talk about that one next, but let's, let's, let's hang on a team here for a second. I did have some expectations for this one just cause 
with the cast they got, I thought they were going to maybe hit that sweet spot of being just the right amount of camp. You know, to kind of hit that 80s campness of it. And then you watch this and you're like, they just kind of made a generic action movie. Yeah, and they did get some great people to kind of, not just behind in front of the camera, but behind the camera. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I was at the time madly in love with uh, Smoke and Aces. Oh, yeah. sure. What a fool I was. What a fool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I thought he was going to be great. I'm like, oh, man, they gave this guy a big budget action movie, and it's got... It's got Liam Neeson, man. Who who doesn't love Liam Neeson? And yeah. That guy from The Hangover, he seems pretty cool. And yeah, the guy who was just in District 9. You know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this movie this movie is going to be like the modern day Superman where all these kind of people just came out of nowhere and in this great movie and we'd love it 30 years later. <laughs> Here we are 10 years later and I don't even remember half of what the movie was about. Yeah, I was the same way. In fact... I kind of forgot the movie existed until I looked at the 2010 movies. <laughs> yeah. uh, a, it had that helicopter a, thing. <laughs> there's a very awkward scene in this movie that seems to exist only because uh, Bradley Cooper can speak French. Um, just like, what? Would you just, would you just show up on set every day? Like, what do you guys feel like doing? <laughs> it could have been. I mean, who knows? <laughs> it's just, it seems so awkward. Like, the, the one thing that they seemed to really put a thought into was the whole uh, tank flying out of the back of the plane part. Like, that was, yeah. the only, that was the only part that they really seemed to care about. And they spoiled that in the trailer. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And so, let's, let's move. I'm going to just kind of put two together. Because I feel like these are the two that were supposed to be real franchise starters that were more or less DOA, even though one of them for sure kind of has a little bit of a cult following, but it's the losers and Jonah Hex. Sadly, both, both based on the DC comics property. Um, Oh man. You know, did you, did you go to Jonah Hex in theaters? Cause I know you went to the losers, correct? Right. You went to that. Um, no, I ended up, Kind of catching Jonah. I think it came out in the summer. It I was. Believe. It was. They were trying to build it to be a little bit of a summer movie. You know, like, oh, we got Megan Fox and Josh Brolin's playing a comic book hero and or kind of hero. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. Oh, God. What's his name? Uh, John Malkovich was in this, too. Oh, yeah, he was. Everyone was hyping up. Oh, man, he makes such a he's going to be such a cool villain. And I was just like. I don't know. It seems like they kind of bastardized Jonah Hex a little bit in this. And then when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this, it, it is what I thought it was. Um, Cause I think I eventually watched it on Showtime. Okay. Yeah. And I, I never did watch Jonah Hex. I just really couldn't even stomach. I knew I wouldn't be able to stomach it just based on the trailer. I was like, uh, I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It had a uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen vibe to it that I, you know, um, I didn't But think see, that that, that should have worked on me, though, because I'm a League of Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen apologist. The I, uh, I still proselytize that movie. Well, so. that's the thing. They, they, went, <laughs> they went half in 
to something like that. And it's like, if you go a little bit in, why don't you just go all the way? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> just, just embrace the absurdity. Don't like, just, just don't just dip that toe, up. man. Just just jump in. <laughs> <laughs> don't just dip your toes in the water. <laughs> Sean Connery's in there. Come in, the water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now the losers. Oh, the losers. I, I, did know, you like that at the time? Like, I have uh, this vague memory that you kind of liked this movie. Or am I crazy? Well, here's the problem. I really like the comic. and Maybe that's what I I'm thinking. Had... <laughs> <laughs> no, because I had the movie poster in my uh, hanging up somewhere. Oh, okay. <laughs> the movie poster was like a direct recreation of one of the comic book covers. And I thought it was a cool one. It's the one where all the guys are kind of standing in a circle looking down and they're all holding guns except for Chris Evans character. So oh, right. Talking. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I had reservations, but the trailer just made it look like this was going to be an action packed thrill ride, kind of like the A team. And I was like, Oh man, I, I really do like Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, and of course I, I think this was Idris Elba's like first big film debut and i'm like it was like finally about time and i just really wanted to like it but it's just oh man i don't know it seemed lacking like you know once again it it was they didn't go all into the craziness they just maybe this is the movie joe carnahan directed yeah yeah interesting yeah what if he would have done the losers instead of a team that would have been Interesting. You gotta you gotta wonder the studio when they had the losers like on their list of movies they wanted to make. You'd think he would have been a director on the short list, just because of like having smoking aces and things under his belt. Yeah, because it was it was an ensemble movie, which um, there was a couple characters that I felt they were just kind of there, like they never really expanded on them. Um, and I think Chris Evans' character was, they purposely made him funny to just kind of make up for the fact that he was, he was a worthless character. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I really wanted to like it, but yeah, it just fell short of my expectations. And, you know, I, if, when it was on FX, I would, I would watch it. Yeah, and this but, was kind of an early Zoe Saldana movie too. Yeah. Where she was in the top part of the cast anyway. You know, she kind of had, she kind of showed up in Pirates of the Caribbean and kind of things like that. And I guess at by this point she would have had she had a bigger role in Drumline, which was actually kind of a decent hit when it came out in the early 2000s. But yeah. but this was kind of when she kind of started to shift gears, I feel into kind of more being in action movies. Yeah. Cause uh, she was in vantage point, which uh really good movie. I don't think we ever talked about it. Though. No, and it is a good movie. You're right. And she's, yeah. in, she plays a reporter. I think she's in it for like maybe four minutes. <laughs> I honestly forgot she's in it. And I think you're right. It's cause she does have kind of like a, uh, supporting role, I guess, so to speak. Um, but we're going to, I'm going to kind of shift again. We're going to go back here. We're going to go into the family world a little bit. Uh, Tang Ooh. Tangled came out this year. This is, I think, still the highest budget Disney animated movie because of the fact that they had to, what, rebrand it really 
kind of redo it and rebrand it and all these things. Huh. I, I didn't, I guess I've never heard that the budget for it was so huge. Yeah, it was, oh, God, over $150 million, I think. Holy because cow. I know I had seen an early teaser at a different movie, like like a year before, and it was just going to be called Rapunzel and focus, have more of the focus on Rapunzel. And I don't even think Flynn Rider was really as big of a deal. And then Princess and the Frog didn't do as well as they hoped. And so they decided they needed to make it a little more centric on Flynn Rider <laughs> because of Princess and the Frog's maybe lack of success or what they were hoping it would kind of hit. And so, yeah, it actually kind of got rebranded and they had to redo things and change the name to Tangled and all this stuff. And what And I think they made a really strong movie at the end of the day. I think this is better than Frozen. But, uh, but that's just that's just my opinion. But now that you've uh, completely riled everyone up, um, yeah, maybe not as many as you think. I'm gonna just come out and say this right now. I've seen this movie, and I have no recollection of half of it. <laughs> my my, I will give the movie this. There there is one scene. That was just so absolutely perfect that it kind of blows away a lot of a lot of Disney movies as a scene where she breaks out into song and Flynn Rider's just like, what is she doing? <laughs> and that I thought was just great, but the rest of the film I really is just kind of lost on me. Sure. Well, and yeah, you're not really the I suppose the princess Disney animated movie target either. So, <laughs> uh, and you know something, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, well, you should be. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's go over to Scott Pilgrim versus the World. All right, now you're speaking my language. Uh, kind of a. I don't. I don't know. This movie kind of had it everybody but kind of it kind of had everybody before they were huge like brie larson and and chris evans and what brandon routh was i don't maybe the biggest he'll ever be was superman returns though i don't know (laughs) but it just kind of had this was an edgar wright movie that it seems like people love more now than happened at the time (laughs) you know that is so true because um Man, I went to see this three times in theaters. Really? Yeah, and it was mostly to drag people to because it was, I want to say it came out during the fall or winter. I want to say maybe more fall, but uh, yeah, it was like a really slow movie season. And, um, you know, me and some friends be sitting around like, oh, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I don't want to just sit here. Let's go do something. So I ended up dragging them to the theater to see it. <laughs> I think all except for one person didn't like it. And she was like, I, the part where the guy broke out in the song, I just, like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But most of the movie was pretty great. Um, visually, I thought it, I thought it was just, just 
perfect. Edgar Wright's never really made a movie that's looked bad. All his movies have a very distinct visual look that's always interesting to look at. <laughs> uh, I still would be curious what his Ant-Man would look like <laughs> if he would have continued on on that path of making Ant-Man. Yeah. Uh, just have been interesting just because he has such a, a different eye than a lot of directors do. <laughs> And I yeah. and, and this was probably the movie that people really, really started to take real more notice of that. Uh, but I feel like just kind of the the premise and trailers for this movie, people were probably like, "What is even going on? This guy is fighting boyfriends, but in video game style." <laughs> and I think I think it just was so confusing that people didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> I mean that's always that's always going to be the gamble when you're doing something like this where it's it was adapted from a comic book and he was so in love with the kind of what they were doing that he in certain scenes he did try to mimic what was going on in the comic. Oh okay. Yeah, but uh, I remember the soundtrack for this movie being really popular with people too. Yeah. Was, this is back when people were still buying CDs. I remember coming across a few in my friend's zone, and I was like, well, that's cool. Yeah, you're right. This did have a – yeah, the soundtrack was like a... – did really well on that one. Probably the last time Brie Larson ever sang on camera, like for a movie. Yeah, I always forget that she kind of had like a music career. <laughs> <laughs> that she kind of did that, that she was a pop singer for a while. Now she's just kind of known as this, you know, Academy Award winning actress who's Captain Marvel and stuff. And you kind of forget that she was like a Hannah Montana for a while. <laughs> uh, yes, the great value version of Hannah Montana. But uh, although I guess Zendaya was the same way, too. I mean, she was a Disney star that had a singing career and a dance did dancing. And <laughs> so. The way it goes, I guess. You got to start somewhere. Uh, let's see here. The town. Yes. I was wondering when we were getting to this. Ah, I have mixed feelings about this movie. It, I... It's good okay. and then kind of ends up being a letdown by the end. <laughs> that's all. That's what I'll say. <laughs> oh, well, please, Stephen, do explain. I I just don't. It just kind of. I feel like I got bogged down in being too much of the love story by the end. That I just kind of lost. It just felt like the intensity got lost, like the tension got lost. Because by the end, it just tried to be like a sweet love story. <laughs> and I guess that was the way the movie was always going when when you think about it. But it was just like I don't know. It just kind of took the. Took the, took the steam out of it for me, I guess, so to speak. Just kind of the way it all kind of culminated by the end. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's pretty loved. I mean. Yeah, personally, uh, this is kind of one of my, one of my more beloved movies. Because uh, 
this is like the last movie I saw with a friend, and then I never saw her again. So it's kind of... Oh. And well, we spent like two hours talking about how much we love this movie. And I don't love it because of that. It's just, you know, there was the action I love. It had some really dramatic parts that I thought were great. But yes, the John Hamm, John, I, I was never a John Hamm fan, but the, he was great playing the kind of jerk FBI agent. Yeah, he's really good at being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that just, you just reminded me of something. He was actually supposed to be the Batman in uh, Batman v Superman, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, they approached him, but he turned it down. And he he kind of hinted that that's what happened, but no one else has really confirmed it. Huh. So kind of take that with a grain of salt, I guess. You know, a lot of people used to always kind of throw his name in as that he should be Captain America, you know, back when they were casting Captain America for the MCU. Yeah. There was a lot of like, oh, John Hamm, John Hamm. <laughs> And I was always, I was always like, I don't know. It feels a little on the nose, and he already looks too old. <laughs> yeah, I think he would have been perfect as an older Bruce Wayne, though. Probably yeah, he would have been good at that. More so than Ben Affleck, because Ben Affleck still looks like he's about mid thirties. Even though they they try to give him those uh, like gray on the side and the, the yeah, movie. I mean, I do feel like Batman v Superman is probably one of the few movies with Ben Affleck where I actually feel like he is actually maybe in his 40s. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like it, it worked enough for me, but you're right, it would have been, yeah, like a John Hamm would have been probably a little more, it would have been interesting to see him in that role. Yeah, because his character does say, and he's like, oh, I'm older than my father, it's like, you do not look older than Jeffrey D. Morgan. I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember that line too and being like, well, I kinda. <laughs> a little bit. Like, like Jeff, dad, Jeffrey I... Dean Morgan, like, <laughs> he just looks eternally 50, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, even when he was on Grey's Anatomy, I'm like, why does she have feelings for this old man? <laughs> he could be your father. <laughs> But it's uh, like, uh, he's got some city miles on him. Uh, <laughs> in- interestingly enough, he's actually not that much older than Jensen Ackles, who plays his son on Supernatural. Yeah, he probably isn't, I suppose. I think he's like eight or nine years older. Kind of a Connery Ford thing, huh? Like in uh, Last Crusade, where they're only like, what, like 10 or 12 years apart? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, to move on here, Tron Legacy. Oh, God. Were you excited? Okay. Were you excited for this one? Um, yeah, and that's mostly because uh, I had never seen the first one. Oh, okay. So I was living under this delusion that the first one was some sort of great film. It's not. I don't think it is. The first one was one of those where it's like, yeah, maybe like especially watching it now it doesn't really quite play the same as it probably would have uh um, there's uh there's a reference to it in the simpsons where homer gets lost in this alternate dimension and he yes he he's like oh it kind of looks like uh, that movie tron did anyone ever see tron 
and then it pans to every single member of the room and they're like no 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 they get to chief wiggum and he's like yeah and he's like oh i mean no (laughs) (laughs) that basically encapsulates where tron is on like the the social hierarchy of movies yeah (laughs) it's like people have seen it does it does anyone really like it though anyone and of course they're still talking about making a sequel to this day like that director is like oh maybe yeah it's kind of hard to know where tron is now with with everything i i actually don't mind this movie i feel like there were things going on there was a story to tell um i i think the concept is interesting but <sighs> I don't know if another one would work. <laughs> I just, I just think it's probably good to just let it, let it go and let the people who love it, love it and just let it be done. It's probably a better yeah. way to go. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, Killian Murphy has a very brief appearance in this playing some corporate executive and he was hired strictly because in the third one, he was meant to be like the actual main villain. <laughs> Oh, okay, so, that makes sense. So sure. We'll never, <laughs> that's if anyone's want, ever watched this movie, one, hey, like that's Killian Murphy. Well, yeah, that's why he was in that movie. So in the third one, he would have been the big bad. I do. Uh, yeah, I did know that Kaczynski had plans to make another one. That Joseph Kaczynski who did this one, uh, but then Oblivion didn't do very well, which was ba- which he got money for for his original concept with Tom Cruise. And then I don't know what he's up to now, that director. Has he done anything since Oblivion? Oh, I would have to I'd have to look. I'm sure he uh, has, but it's just a matter of yeah. you know, anything of, of note, I guess. Yeah, so Tron. I always just found it interesting that Tron, especially the original, it I'm still just fascinating that Disney financed and made that. Uh because really, that's probably the most fascinating thing to it about me, too, is like, man, it's interesting that Disney got behind that. But but Disney, I think they were still trying to, like, follow that that Walt legacy, like Walt the man, of just, like, let's break new ground. You know, and I think they felt like Tron was going to be, like, this next groundbreaker, which yeah. it, it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> and... The thing is, some people look at the original Tron and they try to put it on like that same pedestal the Matrix is on, and it's like, no. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it'd be hard to put those on the same pedestal, and part of, partially too because they were both doing two different things. Uh, Matrix is really more philosophy, and Tron really is technology. Uh, I, and so, I mean, there is a little bit of difference just there, but let's go into the spooky stuff. Uh, Insidious. The first Insidious came out in 2010. Yes. Where the house isn't haunted, the kid is. That was, I remember, the big tagline. It's not the house that's haunted. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you bring this up because I was, I just saw this movie not too long ago. Yeah, I actually like the Insidious franchise. I feel like it's a pretty strong... I it, it's a consistent franchise. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I just uh, and personally, I think the first one is probably the best of them. Sure, pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I think the the scariest part, you know, 
of all all these movies together is in that first one too and it's where uh they're sitting at the table and they're uh they're talking and then there's that shot where the demon is behind the lady and you barely see its face oh yeah i also hate it too when uh patrick wilson's in that whatever it's called the nowhere or whatever and it's dark and then all of a sudden he's just like face to face with that creepy old guy <laughs> that was always i always thought that was a pretty good jump scare yeah uh but i yeah. mean this was i mean this is definitely a strong movie you can see why it became a franchise you know even if the the other ones aren't as good i do feel like they do stay pretty consistent though in terms of uh, they don't quite just take the the dive that a lot of horror sequels do. <laughs> uh, which, I don't know, wasn't James Wan involved in this one? I thought he was the one that directed it. Did he direct it? Okay. Because, yeah. cause you know, he did The Conjuring, too. And I always feel like, or I feel like, you know, his involvement in these is maybe why the sequels stayed as strong as they did. You know, it was just because you had someone involved who is a decent director. You know, even if he was just producing later. Yeah. Uh, uh, from yeah. what I remember, too, he was kind of getting advice from, uh, oh, what's the filmmaker he always worked with? The one from Saw. Oh, Lee Winnell? Yeah. Yeah, Lee uh, Winnell's in Insidious. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's he. I think he's a pretty good uh, writer slash director. He uh, yeah. He's he's okay. really carved himself into a pretty good director. Yeah, upgrade is great. Oh yeah. Well, he just did Invisible Man too. Yeah, and then and... he did Invisible Man now. So yeah, it's interesting because initially he was just kind of a writer producer, and 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 I feel like it's this perfect time for him too because he really, you know, James Wan has kind of gone into more high budget. Whereas Lee Winnell is still, is this director who fits perfectly into the Blumhouse model. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's okay doing the kind of smaller movies and, and still getting a, getting a lot out of a small budget. So yeah, it's just kind of it. Those two guys I've been, I've watched them ever since. Cause the first saw, if you listen to our whole hundred <laughs> favorite movies, it's, it's on my, <laughs> Liz, I just feel that first saw. I mean, you really saw that those guys they were going somewhere. That was a pretty good freshman freshman movie. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like they've they've come, you know, clear across the galaxy. They've yeah, they and they've both done interesting things, but in different ways. And then at times they still team up, so it's kind of cool. They've kept their friendship yeah. even as they've both kind of done different things. So, but yeah, uh, let's see. There's another one I was going to bring up. Oh, did you ever see Frozen? It's three friends who get stuck on a, oh. on a ski lift, like a chairlift. <laughs> yeah, I um, I believe that's the one that has, ironically enough, Iceman from the X-Men movies. It, in it? does. Iceman's in this, yes. I, oh. I always thought this was a... A decent little, you know, what do they call those? Well, it's kind of like Saw, where most of it's kind of in the one room, but on this one, it's just, all of it's just on this ski lift. 
or on this chair. Yeah. Um, I actually saw this. I can't remember what channel or whatever it was um, at the time, but it would have been a year after it came out, and I was kind of just up late and was like, oh, this movie called Frozen is on. And I remember watching it, and oh, it's, it's it gets pretty pretty harrowing. As yeah, it goes on, but uh, yeah, I was actually I was pretty surprised at how well it was made. Right, and it's one of those where, yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but I found myself, I you want to keep watching. That's what I was kind of surprised by. I was like, you get really invested in it, and it gets pretty intense in parts. Yeah, um, it was it was a very pleasant surprise. I remember at the time I was kind of tired, and I was like, yeah, I might fall asleep to this movie, but stuck with it to the end. I was like, wow, that was so much better than what I thought. <laughs> I think that's about how I was when I watched it. It was like I watched it late. Uh, yeah, and I was kind of like, well, see if I make it, and then yeah, you watch the whole thing, and you're wide awake. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple here that we probably have to bring up. The duds. Uh, Every year has duds. Well, no, I mean, I don't know if we ever really have much to say about them. We've talked about them in the past, but they were like bigger movies this year. 127 hours. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a pretty big movie that came out this year. Did uh, we talk about this one before? I don't. I feel like we have. Maybe not. Maybe we haven't talked about that one. Um. This was also a pleasant surprise, but I don't know. I felt like it was kind of overhyped. Yeah, I was super hyped. Well, between Franco and Danny Boyle being the director, it just kind of was like, yeah, it just was like built into like the, that was going to be like this huge, greatest movie ever type kind of hype. So, and it's fine. (laughs) I mean, it's another one of those where, it is kind of amazing they made a whole movie out of a guy getting his arm caught. <laughs> oh, well, it was based off a true story. But though. yeah, and that's the thing where then you realize a lot of it's based off of the real uh, real story of this guy because he was able to film himself through the thing, and you're like, oh my gosh. You know, that's kind of almost more what makes the movie work is just how true it is. And so, yeah, and then the other one would be Social Network, which we talked about quite a bit on the 100, because <laughs> you had that on your list. You know something? <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but there was a typographical error. On <laughs> but you went for it, man. You really sold that you loved that movie. <laughs> oh. Well, I think it's, well, it's. I just think it's incredible considering I had absolutely no expectations for it. And um, once again, it was so well shot and uh, it's kind of almost in a way like a morality tale as long as being a history lesson. It was how Facebook got started, but yeah, it really is. Yeah. Once you're, you're a fan of big kind of movie scores. This one was, this one was one to remember. It's funny Uh, because I don't remember it. (laughs) Probably if I heard it, I would. (laughs) Steven, you Philistine. Well, part of it is I only watched the movie once, and I'm like, I don't need to see that again. (laughs) Um, Anyway, this this 
movie is on my top 100 <laughs> movie list, and it shouldn't be. It should be Gone Girl. Um, yeah. Once again, typographical error on my part. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like maybe we should just record that whole list. We'll do it. We're going to do the whole four hours again. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. We had a re- the remake of Clash of the Titans came out in 2010. Not a very good movie. Oh, um, then you had a. Did you just say pretty good? No. Oh. No, I didn't. I don't know what I said actually, but I did. If I said pretty good, I didn't mean to because it isn't. <laughs> you know, once again, my God, what is, is was this like the beginning of the end for Liam Neeson? Because this was one of his movies too. Uh, yeah, and it was probably more or less the end for Louis Leterrier. Oh, no, it wasn't, because he had Now You See Me after this. <laughs> Which he claims they're still making a third one. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> well, what did what did he do recently? It was something on Netflix. Oh, gal, you're right. Mostly I remember it because someone asked him about, oh, you made The Incredible Hulk, and he was like, he just kind of weary sighs and is like, yes, I made that movie. Yeah. I don't remember. You're right, though. There was something that he did do for Netflix, or it's on Netflix or whatever. Oh, am I thinking um, The Dark Crystal, the prequel? Like, yes. the you know. Those that limited series or whatever they did. Yeah. He was the director of all of them, I think, all eight parts. Yeah, which doesn't seem like something he would do, but he did a great job. I actually really liked that show. He kind of he's one though that doesn't mind dabbling in the fantastical though and I mean that's and and he wouldn't be scared of special effects either, which that would take a lot of movie, you know, there's a lot of camera tricks when you're working with puppets and stuff. So he wouldn't be scared of that either, I suppose, so. Yeah. Yeah. But then two big franchises started this year in the family world, Despicable Me and How to Train Your Dragon both ah yes and those both went on to make just all of the money in the world (laughs) um you know i actually thought these two movies were just okay i wasn't completely swept away by them um i'm probably one of the few who didn't find the minions just absolutely absolutely adorable sure and you know, I, I watched them long after they came out in theaters. I think I saw How to Train Your Dragon like maybe three years after this. Uh-huh. And Despicable Me, I think it was two years later. But... Yeah, I guess for me, uh, I was all, I was all right with the Minions. It was when they got their own movie that I was like, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> Like this is just too much, and then now that I know that there's another Minions movie coming, I was like, no more Minions. They were fine as like this funny side character, you know, but no, <laughs> they don't need to be the lead. Yeah. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon? I think all of those are great, and I feel like each one gets better. But they also, in the second one and the third one, they got uh, everyone's favorite cinematographer Deacons to be. The, they couldn't, I don't know, they didn't really call him a director of photography because it was animated, but he was kind of like a consultant, I guess. And so when you really watch the second and third ones, you just see 
how much more captivating and wonderfully beautiful all the animation is having a probably the best in his the best in the business as your cinematographer basically <laughs> well that's a matter of opinion steven well i know I'm you think that. wally i know you think wally fister's the best but <laughs> no I was, I was kidding uh, um yeah i just i don't know they i wasn't really there in the theaters to see them so i kind of yeah got up to the show pretty late well and i mean we all know you're cold-hearted and you just can't handle oh. the family. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but again, yeah, it's just like it's just like anything. It's like family movies are tricky. Uh, it well, any movie's tricky. Just not everyone's gonna love it. Yeah, I mean, a good example would be another movie that came out this year, Iron Man Two. <laughs> oh yes, probably one of the more lackluster MCU movies. <laughs> Man, I remember we were all so excited for this. Well, it's because it was the very next movie after Iron Man. <laughs> like the the fever pitch for this um, was like almost a Dark Knight level. Yeah, um, where it was just oh my gosh, everywhere you went, you people who I remember every theater people were just so ecstatic when this the trailer for it and the trailer was everywhere and. Oh man, it's just—it's weird. Like the hype, the hype was too great. I think. Yeah, well, in the, it was like the movie didn't. I don't know. They just didn't have. There, there were things going on in this movie, but I feel like they just put it all together wrong. <laughs> like how to make it work? It was just—it was like there wasn't enough going on, but there was also too much going on. I don't know. It was just kind of a weird movie when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. It is it is kind of a waste cuz it's they got Sam Rockwell to be in this. And yeah, it was I mean, a real waste of Rockwell as a villain. <laughs> yeah. There's when he when he has to be, you know, just a despicable person. Oh man, he really goes into it. Yeah, the Green Mile. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty but, despicable. But in this, he's kind of just he's just like a whiny nerd and it's like, "Oh, I didn't that's a facet I guess I never thought he could pull off, but he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but Dakota, I was saving this one. Oh. I was saving I... this one just because you you told me, you're like, Steven, you have to watch this movie. Oh. And I was like <laughs> Okay, and I did and and I think I I thanked you in person because this movie is great. I am talking about Predators. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! The fact that it took me nine years to watch this movie—it's <laughs> just—it's bananas. Yes, yes. But in the most wonderful way, and it has—it's—it's it's almost like Tombstone. Where you look at the cast and you're like, this isn't going to work. This cast is terrible and weird. <laughs> but it but it somehow works. Uh, Adrian Brody and Topher Grace, like, what what is happening here? <laughs> well, the real, it's like you got Walton Goggins, who I think is Yeah, the and then Wally Goggs is in it. 
And then Danny Trejo and I think uh, Alice Brega was in this. And I think the only thing of note she had done before this was I Am Legend. Yeah, I Am Legend would have been, yeah, probably easily the most visible thing she was in. And and I feel bad because the the Russian actor I can never remember his name, but he it's like man, this dude has like some presence to him. Yeah, and who played the predator in this movie? Uh, is it the same one who played the Predator in the newer, the new one, The Predator? Or was it a different I, guy in this one? Can't remember. Sorry. Well, and spoiler uh, alert, based on the title, there's more than one Predator in this. The, I can't think of his name right now, but it, uh, the guy who's, they call him, they refer to him as the original Predator, the one that's uh, the little one, if you want to, you know, what they refer to him as. Um he was actually done by the same guy who was Swamp Thing in that new show that came out not too long ago. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, a uh, very physically imposing guy. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, apparently, he works the best covered under, like, a thousand pounds of makeup. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. But this movie, I mean, to put the cards out there, it's obviously extremely violent. But yes. it, it it opens up the Predator world a lot uh, just in getting to see more about their culture and just the way they did, they kind of brought you into the story in this being on another planet and things like that. It was just, I don't know, the whole premise and the way they played it all out is just, it's a great action movie. Uh, and Gal is Robert Rodriguez. He just produced this, correct? Didn't he just produce it? Yeah, and I think uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but he was kind of he was kind of there on set as a guiding hand for the director. Okay. Yeah. Um, trying to think here, and because he is in love, he was in love with the original Predator, like you know most normal people, right? <laughs> yeah, and I, and that's the thing. I I think you can you just feel this just feels like a new story, but also a love letter to the first one. Uh, it's almost what I think people thought the Predator was going to be. Oh, because of Shane Black being involved. But I would just tell people just watch this one. <laughs> I mean, and, you'll be good. You know, well, <laughs> What sucks, though, is, oh, this movie was so under the radar, I think, with people. Right. Like, even, even, like, you with fans of the original one, I think they kind of just dismissed this. Yeah. I'm blaming, I'm blaming that on the Alien vs. Predator franchise that kind of just imploded. You're right. Because for me, it was twofold. I had really just lost all taste and respect for Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> and AVP just kind of burned me out. You know the the both yeah. a, both Alien versus Predator just kind of burn me out, and I'm just like I can't do this between Robert Rodriguez disappointing me too many times, and the Alien versus Predators. I'm like I'm out, <laughs> and then you just kind of forget it happened, you know. And I think a lot of people did. So yeah, I think what are our two big ones we're trying we're reminding people of? I would say so far Red and Predators would be two that either maybe forgot about them or you never watched them. And they're both really good. Yeah. As long as you're okay with the genres they're in. You know, I mean, obviously Predators is not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. 
Like if if he were taking out a girl who's like, she loved the Notebook, I'd be like, Don't yeah. Take her to see Predators. Right, or the most hardcore movie she's ever seen is like The Avengers or something. <laughs> I, I'm basically thinking of my wife. My wife would hate this movie. She wouldn't even watch the first five minutes of this movie. Uh, it'd just be too much. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny, too, because, oh, man, uh, this movie's set up in a way where you're uh, kind of like Robert Rodriguez did with Battle Lead. Battle Angel Alita. There's so many sequel ideas. Like if you just look, they're just ideas littered all over this movie, and it just didn't do well enough that we're probably never gonna see anything, anything related to this movie in another movie at all. Mm. Let's see. There was a couple others I wanted to bring up here. Let me just look over. Oh, here's one. Here's kind of a under-the-radar one I wanted to bring up, too. It was a Mel Gibson-starring movie called Edge of Darkness. Oh. Um, solid little action movie where he basically goes on revenge for the murder of his daughter um, with a supporting performance by Ray Winstone. Uh, Ray Winstone <laughs> in this movie also. Is this the one where it's kind of implied? No. Not directly implied? No, this is... isn't the, the fake sequel to Payback. Is that what you're no, thinking was, of? Oh. I was one of his the movies he was in, it's kind of implied that he was uh uh his character from the Lethal Weapon movies because he's living in a trailer and he's it's kind of implied that he has like a, a military background and he, he was involved in all this stuff and Uh but, no, because there is a little bit newer than this even movie that he did that's called what is it called? Bloodfather? Where I think that's the movie you're thinking of. Where okay. he lives in a trailer and, and it's and it's kinda it if you watch the trailers for Edge of Darkness and Bloodfather, they feel really similar. But they're quite a bit different <laughs> when you actually yeah. watch them. This one I actually skipped. It's just it felt like, you know, another movie where they were trying to cash in on the people who were fans of um Taken. Yeah, and that I think that's what kind of hurt the movie. Uh, it felt people thought it felt too much like Taken slash. People were still trying to decide if they liked Mel Gibson again. Uh, but Martin Campbell actually directed Edge of Darkness, which oh I, really, which I think helps. Uh, and God, I think it was written by like William Monahan, which maybe doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but he's written things of note. <laughs> uh, I'll just put it away. Like he worked on like, uh, the departed, um, you know, things like that. He had, he had up the screenplay of, um, yeah. Martin Campbell though. I've pretty much almost loved everything he's done. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, it's not a mind blowing movie, but it's definitely, I think worth a watch if you're, if you're into that type of movie, uh, and then another one that I had. Let me see if I can. I gotta look over. Man, I was thinking there was another one I was thinking of. Oh, an animated one that came out this year, uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. Oh yes, which is an excellent DC animated movie. Probably one of the best, if not the best. Yeah. Um, 
I know I brought up Jensen Ackles' name earlier. He did the voice of the Red Hood in this, and uh, I know. Oh, I don't know if it's if this is actually true or not. But supposedly he's lobbied like people at D, uh, at Warner Brothers. Like, hey, if you guys ever need a Red Hood, I'm a, I'm a, I'm available. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is one where if if even if you're not a big animated movie fan, this isn't much of an investment. It's like 70 minutes or something. Maybe 75 or something. And it's a really really good story. Um taking place in taking place in the Batman world. Um and it's kind of worth seeking out. It's probably a cheap rental now at this point. I would assume. Yeah. Um, um, all those movies used to pretty much be on Netflix, but I don't know if that's still the case anymore. Because... Yeah. Probably not anymore with the whole DC Universe thing. You're right, though. I think that's how I originally saw it was on Netflix, now that you say that. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Greenwood did a really good job. He's the, the voice of Batman in this. Um, he did a really, really good job. Yeah. Well, and to name drop again, because that's what we're good at here at the Dakota Boys, uh, I think Andrea Romano did the uh, voice directing for this, which she does for a lot of the WB animation, even going back to like Animaniacs and the original Batman the Animated Series. And I feel like she always does a really good job of getting great performances out of the actors they get for these. The DC animated movies, most of them are at least good <laughs> if not great and uh but this is probably my favorite and i feel like in a lot of ways it's probably the easiest one to just kind of check out even if you're not into the other ones yeah um you know i actually was not a fan of this story in comic book form really but yeah well, in the comics, it's just uh, there's so much going on, uh, like a whole lot of like they they try to, you know, kind of like uh, Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier. It's like there's just there's just like too much other comic book stuff going on. Sure. To really, to really have this story stand alone, but this movie, the movie strips away all that, and they just kind of it's a very simple story of. You know, oh, this this vigilante's and new vigilante's in town called the Red Hood, and he's killing mobsters, and we gotta stop him. Mm. Uh, funny enough, Black Mask, the villain that was just in the, the featured in the Birds of Prey movie, was he's kind of hinted at as being being one of the big bads in this, and you find out he was just just another patsy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If there's anything Gotham City has. A plethora of its patsies. <laughs> and uh, John DiMaggio is the Joker in this. Um, yeah. Yeah, he did a good job. I mean... The great well, voice actor, John DiMaggio, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, he did. That's a that's a good one to check out. Uh, I think we'll kind of pull it together now. There were other things that came out this year, but things you know, like Toy Story 3... I mean, everybody kind of has their thoughts on that, and they it's mostly loved. And there was the crappy Robin Hood with Russell Crowe. 
you know, things like that came out this year. But I feel like we did a pretty good job just touching on kind of things kind of all over the place and maybe reaching in, finding some that were forgotten about or or even talking about ones that maybe it's good they're forgotten and maybe we should apologize for bringing them back up. <laughs> you know, I haven't thought of that Russell Crowe Batman movie since I saw it. Oh, you mean Robin Hood? Yeah. Oh, oh it's my gosh, I said Batman. My gosh. It's it's just it's bad and it's sad. And it's such a waste of not even just Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett, but of Oscar Isaac. It's like well, he you give him such a meaty role and then he just has nothing to do in the movie. You know. Well, it's it's tough too cuz it's like where this was a Ridley Scott movie. It's like where did he go wrong? It, I, is that an example of uh, what's that word? Hubris. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like Russell. Okay, because because it's kind of the, isn't it kind of the same thing that happened with what was that? Gods and Kings or whatever that Moses oh. movie he made, where it was just like yeah. he was just trying so hard that it just. Or I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's trying so hard to make some sort of epic that he forgot about character. Because it feels like with those movies, you don't care about anybody. I didn't care about... I love nearly all Robin Hood stories in one way or another for some reason. It's like, I didn't care about anybody in this one. Not one. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, they got Danny Houston to be Richard the Lionheart. And I oh remember, my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, and I remember like I really like him as an actor, but in this movie, it's like it felt everything just seemed like a waste. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just wasted so much talent. <laughs> Max, Max von Sydow, I think, was the father, if I believe right. They yes, um, yes. Oh. Movie never went anywhere. It was supposed to be Robin Hood Begins, and it's just uh... yeah, Sherwood Origins, Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was one of those where I think it just made its money back. Like it wasn't even necessarily like a flop, but because it made or it cost like 135 million to make this. No man, and it made like a little over 300 million at the box office. But it once you figure in advertising, which it did get advertised, and it probably just, it probably, everybody maybe took home a few extra bucks for coffee or something, <laughs> but it probably didn't make, and obviously, nobody cared, audience or critic-wise either, and so it just kind of stopped with this. <laughs> so, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and kind of bring this to a close. I feel like we did, we kind of, we got to touch on a lot of movies we we saw the highs of Inception, and we brought up some um, kind of cool forgotten ones like Red or even Batman Under the Red Hood. And uh, you know this this was actually a good year for movies. There's there's a lot going on, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, uh, there's a ton we didn't talk about, obviously. But this is one of those things where it was just kind of fun to go back and. Just kind of do a do a nice little scoop here into uh, into some of the movies. So, 
yeah. So we'll kind of we'll kind of close it off here. We're, we're we've hit. We don't want to go too long here. I think we're we're getting already well over an hour. <laughs> so, but we appreciate you listening because uh, we love talking about movies, especially. And uh, it was a lot of fun to just kind of go back in and do this. And we hope you did, and that you, if you haven't, that you subscribe to us in all the different places we're in, which is YouTube, iTunes, any other podcast thing. We try to make it accessible to any way you could possibly listen. And then Dakota and I have probably way too much fun just posting uh, dumb movie related dumb movie related things on our Facebook page. So you should definitely like us there because that's where you'll find. Uh, updates on the show and then just whatever random movie trivia or movie humor Dakota and I find to share on there. Um, so definitely uh, take advantage of those things and thank you for listening to this episode on 2010. This is Steven. This is Dakota. We'll catch you next time. Bye.